Hey, listeners, a quick note. This episode contains discussions about sexually explicit topics. Our guest also had some audio issues at the start of the interview, but we were able to resolve that pretty quickly. We hope you enjoy Janice's story. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? So today we have a a special guest. And as you guys know, we like to name our episodes as foolishly as possible. We are going to give a little caveat about the name. So we're we're going to call this episode the one with the naked medic. So for all of you children at home that are listening to this podcast, it's not going to be NSFW. Don't worry. Well, maybe not too much. Maybe a little. The reason we're calling that is because our guest today is a friend of mine named Janice. Uh, For her career, she is a a medic, a flight medic, actually, which is really cool. Um, And she's also was a medic on the show Naked and Afraid, which people have probably heard on. And then she's um, the first is it the first time ever? I think they decided to let crew from the show actually do the challenges. And she was one of the first people to have the opportunity to do that. So we thought it'd be fun to name the episode, the one with the naked medic. Welcome Janice to the show. Thanks for having me. So yeah, so Janice is a, is a kind of a longtime friend of mine. We've known each other for a really long time, early 2000s, I think. I started going to college in Harrisburg in 2003 and graduated in 06. So somewhere in between that time frame, we met. Yeah. Yeah. We met at a church actually where my actual ex-wife was the worship leader there. And Janice was connected to a person who was in the worship team and then married to someone else who was affiliated to with the worship team. And we'll get into that story a little bit because it was kind of a, a wild and crazy thing. But basically Janice is probably, uh, she's one of the few people that I would say is like a bona fide badass. Like let's start out with kind of how we start most guest stories, you know, talk a little bit about your faith background, you know, kind of how you were raised slash reared and that whole thing. (laughs) Reared. Reared. Fantastic word. Classic Christian parenting word. Yeah. (laughs) I I grew up in the church. I've been going to church for as long as I can remember. Um, Parents were wicked involved. Like they were involved in just about every other ministry that there could be. They were strict. They, they wanted us to make, make sure that we follow the word of God and that we remained pure according to what the Bible standards were. It was just me and my sister. So they wanted to make sure that our virtue and, and purity were intact because that was a big thing going up in the 90s was right. um, like the true love weights movement. And then we also had satanic panic. So like they felt like they were battling a whole lot of things at the same time, making sure that we were brought up right. Yeah. And then we weren't really allowed to date. Because I did have like a kind of boyfriend in high school and whatever. (laughs) See, I met my first husband in high school and I really liked him. He was, you know, a seemed to be a God, God on man had all the, had just pretty much what every female teenage Bible would want you to have listed as your future partner. And I fell in love with him. We got married when I was 20 as a sophomore. It was between my sophomore and junior year of, of college. And during that time, I also started really feeling more brave and questioning a lot of what I knew to be, quote, true, unquote, because you're told one thing 
and you're not allowed to question it. You have to be able to look beyond what the world is lying to you about and offering you and realize that God's word is always true. And then when you're asking questions, there's still no real answer to it. But my first husband, he was very still much into the church. We actually ended up going to a, a Southern Free Will Baptist Church. Okay. Very cons- conservative, but that's what he wanted. And I needed to be the submissive wife and <laughs> let, him, let him be the, the man of God for the house. Oh, that church. Oh, that made me, the way that they treated me made me really want to run away from, from being a Christian. They were very judgmental with me. I was in a sorority and I had a nose ring. Oh God. Before I was a sinner. <laughs> Who can imagine? Oh, oh yes. Uh, <laughs> Such a rebel. <laughs> yeah. But the pastor decided to ask my husband, my husband at the time, if I was a virgin when oh, I got married. Wow. I was a virgin. Let's kind of like recap a little bit, just in case people miss. So you grew up kind of, and I don't think you said this, but like, what kind of version of Christianity did you grow up with? Like as a child and teen years before you went to college, was that like a conservative version of Christianity or was it? It's the church was listed as non-denominational, but it had a very heavy Presbyterian background to it. And then it ended up just kind of being whatever they felt like preaching about. Okay. Like there was no consistency. It just kind of whatever. Right. It's like a lot of the congregation would like butt heads and leave because someone was a Calvinist and someone decided to be more conservative or less conservative. And was that a red flag for you at all that there was so much division in your church that the fact that people can't agree and they're reading the same Bible, did that get at you at all? It did. But again, I wasn't allowed to question it out loud. I yeah. wanted to, I, I, I told my mom at one point, I wanted to read other religious Bibles, like other, or sorry, other religious books, because I just wanted to see what they said. I'm a very curious person. I like reading, I like researching. And I was told that I shouldn't because I shouldn't, that would lead me away from, from God because that's the, the design of other religions. Those characteristics you just described about yourself, curiosity, you like to research and you like to read. Those are three very bad things if you want to stay a Christian. Oh, yeah. yes, yes. And not being afraid to question. And I do want to put a caveat out there that my parents have given me something that I know a lot of people who are deconstructing have never gotten. And that is an apology. Oh, before my dad died, he did apologize to me and my sister for allowing so much crap to happen within the church and for staying in that church. And even now my my mom still gets teared up whenever my sister and I bring up something about the church. It took me a while for me to really allow myself to forgive them and, and to also accept that I can still be hurt like yeah. I can forgive what she did because like, I can't say that I would have done any better given the circumstances and the mm-hmm. knowledge that was available to me in the late eighties. Right. When you say that they apologize for stuff that happened in the church, what kind of things are you talking about? Like, are you talking about something specific? Like that's like heinous that you wouldn't want to talk about, or are you talking about just the general abusive culture of a lot of fundamentalist type churches? The, yeah, the, the latter definitely more for example, we would tell them about stuff that was happening in the youth group, what people were doing or saying and going through what we were witnessing youth group leaders saying and doing that made us feel very uncomfortable, you know, not, not you know, sexually, but in regards to just they just like an abuse of power and fear mongering. And then there were some girls in our youth group who were self-harming 
they themselves were getting sexually assaulted. It was a hot mess, but we were, we would talk about it and it was, no, they're just lying. They're just, mm-hmm. they're just talking. They're just being what, whatever. They're just, it's all, I'll talk because why would you want to believe that the people that you're friends with are allowing this to happen to their children? Right. My dad passed in 2020, but just before that, they were actually making friends with the people I grew up with and they would confirm, oh yeah, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. And so that was when they, they came and apologized to us for, for it. And then not allowing us to be free spirited and ask the questions that we were asking. The purity culture was just, oh, rampant. I even had a trail of weights ring. I signed that freaking pledge. Right. And rapture anxiety is very much a real thing. It's, you know, like that was also the time the, um, the left behind series was coming out mm-hmm. and it was just so much fear. Yeah. And I'm an anxious person as it is like, I'm anxious by default and right. I don't need to be afraid of something that I'm also really not sure it even exists. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's interesting too. Like from like when I hear non-denominational in my experience, that's always been like code for basically Baptist or Southern Baptist. Cause that seems to be the trend kind of around here and where you grew up non-denominational that was kind of a hodgepodge of like, Oh, I'm just, we're just going to pick whatever theology we want to use. And then we're just going to levy it on the people. And then that caused like uh, even caused division just amongst the people that were actually faithful because mm-hmm. everyone had their own interpretation of the Bible. And then that seems like a really fragmented Christian experience too, like where you don't have like certainty about anything when even your leadership doesn't seem to be certain about what they're teaching. Like that is such a valid point. It, it was whatever new information was out and whatever they wanted to teach. And it, an example of that, we weren't allowed to celebrate Halloween growing up. We were the family that locked the, the door, turned off the light and put out Bible tracks instead of candy. But then when I was 16, the same pastor that taught, you know, like fire and brimstone, if we celebrate a Halloween came out and said, Hey, actually, by the way, it's actually not a demonic holiday. <laughs> the Jews didn't sacrifice virgins on stones to the gods on All Saints Eve. And all. So my sister and I are like looking at my parents, like the whole time, just staring them down in church. And they're like, Oops, I think that for them, that was a, a start of something for them as well. Yeah. Because now they're like, oh, we just, we blindly followed this one guy. And now he's saying, oops. Are you saying that was like the beginning of a sort of a deconstruction for them? It took them a little bit longer. I know that they, like, they were still going to church up until my dad was um, pretty much on hospice. And my mom, uh, she started, I think she went a little bit after he died, but I think that kind of put a spark in at least in my, my mom about that. That's interesting too, that that like gave them pause, not so much like from a theological questioning of their faith, but they realized like how much that it impacted your childhood. Just that one little thing, Halloween, which, you know, on the grand scheme of things is not a huge thing, but they realized, oh, well, if we fell hook, line and sinker for Halloween, what other stuff did we fall for? Yeah. Like the rapture. Right. And like, how did that affect our kids? Like, I remember having rapture anxiety <laughs> to like always, if I ever came home to the house being empty, I'm like looking around for <laughs> piles, for piles of clothes. And <laughs> Susie knows nothing of rapture anxiety because no. she grew up Lutheran. So if you want to like horrify her, you can just <sighs> tell rapture stories and she'll be like, what the fuck is wrong with what you believed? Like, it's so wild. It- like. It is still astonishing to me to hear all of these stories that you guys tell. Like the Halloween thing, that was never an issue. Nobody I knew in real life had an issue with Halloween. 
Yeah, I remember one Halloween they actually let us dress up, and the only thing we dressed up as was ghosts, which was basically like a sheet with holes cut out of it. And we went around the trailer park and went trick or treating. That was the only time I ever remember trick or treating, like as a kid. And then, as as you know, as the years went on, they started noticing the same type of trends where people that would say you shouldn't do this and this and this, they were going back secretly doing the exact same things mm. that they were telling people not to do. Like for example, and this is a hot topic even today, is Disney. Back in the 90s, a lot of churches were banning Disney-related stuff because they supported the gay community. Sounds familiar. Yeah, I know. It's like nothing's changed. <laughs> nothing's yeah. changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then these people were taking their families to Disney World. Right. Uh-huh. You're like, we hate Disney, but we're going to go there for every year for vacation, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. So just, I, it feels silly being upset about something like Halloween, but... It's not. Something about it. I think it, it's not maybe so much Halloween itself. Maybe it's just the entire culmination of everything involving Christianity is wrapped up in that one stupid holiday. Well, it robbed you of a really fun childhood experience Mm -hmm. for no reason at all. Yeah, it's symbolic kind of of the whole. Yeah. It's like a microcosm of your whole childhood saying, oh, well, they they followed blindly this leadership that told us we could do this. And, you know, that that small thing has a ripple effect throughout your entire childhood. And then, you know, it leads into, you know, adulthood. So like you get to 16, they're like, oh, Halloween's okay now. And then, you know, did you start asking any questions like at that point to say, well, how is it that they can change their mind about this? Like, did you ever ask questions like that? Like, is there anything else that they're going to change their mind about? Like, did you ever have those kind of conversations with your parents? I think at that point, I had just learned to not ask the questions because I was going to get the same answers. And I'm such a people pleaser. And I I don't like ticking off my parents. (laughs) Even now, I still have a little bit of that, like a healthy amount of of fear of making sure that I'm not going to make them angry with me or make, make a mom angry with me. It was just more so wait, just wait until you're out out of the house, wait till you're in in college. And then you can really start to learn who you are without being in the confines of this invisible fence that the the church in general, capital C has put up for how, how many of us young people. Yeah. I love that analogy you just used, the invisible fence. And it's kind of like you have a shock collar on. Yeah. (laughs) And then when you left home, that shock collar was off. Yeah, the batteries died so you could get out of the yard. (laughs) Yeah. So what were some of the like precipitating factors like later on? Or I guess maybe a better question be like, when did you really start questioning on a deeper level the actual concepts of Christianity? Like, hey, maybe this stuff I'm not sure about. And when did you start asking those questions? In my early 20s, I had been been married and I just sat back and I just kept thinking, is this all there is, is going to church and everyone's pressuring me to have babies because that's what women are supposed to do. And I remember laying on my bedroom floor crying one night and just wrote out just like the stream of consciousness of like, is this all there is? This can't be all there is. I I feel stuck. Right. And then during all that time, it was when, unbeknownst to me, there was an investigation against my husband. He had confessed to doing some pretty heinous things to children. And um, I won't go too much into it, but he's definitely on a registry on a registry where he can't live X amount of feet from a school. So um, February of 
2010, the cops came to my door with a search warrant. And at that time they had him at the police station because he was trying to get a higher security clearance for his job. And so he had to do a lifestyle polygraph where they ask you (laughs) things that you want to laugh at, but you realize later why they ask it because it freaking happens. And he failed something and he went back and he came back to me and told me that the issues from before had been resolved. My 24 year old brain was thinking, okay, that means he passed. I wouldn't have anything um, to suspect otherwise. And a few months later, they came to the door with a search warrant, went through all all electronics, took computers, took routers, took um, writable CDs and DVDs. And the cops pulled me aside and they told me the things that he had confessed to. And some of the things, it, it, it didn't, I, it took me months to really wrap my head around everything because it was, I, I was shell shocked. And then he ended up being arrested and it being up a whole thing. And during that time, people in the church were trying to get me to not divorce him. Oh, right. God. <laughs> he apologized or, or my, my favorite, he felt like he had to say that. Now, I do believe in forced confessions. I'm a true crime fanatic. I believe mm-hmm. that there are people that are absolutely innocent. When you watch him confess to things on video and you, you read the, the transcripts, the things that he said, you can't coerce. Like, I, I won't. I, because y'all have children, I will not say some of the things that he has confessed to looking up, some of the things that he's done to two children so you can get a look at their private areas because they're pure if you want your stomach to churn. Yeah. And I heard all that in court and I walked out. Mm-hmm. I walked out of the marriage and I walked out of going to church. Yeah. And yeah. that's the last time I was like, I can't, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. And that was the turning point. I was t- 25 and I left. What specifically was it that made you leave? Was it the fact that the church wanted you to stay with this pedophile? Or was it the fact that you like maybe thought God had ordained your marriage and arranged it and then it just fell apart? Like, why would God have led me to marry this guy who obviously was completely wrong for me? Because well, yeah. divorce just is, is an option according to the church. You you work through it. And so I don't want to fail the church. I don't want to make God angry. I don't want to go to hell. And I just, I, I stayed until, let's see, he was arrested in February. His court day was until, I think, beginning of April. So I had all that time of paper telling me to stay strong and whatever and this and this. And then the um, district attorney was reading out some of the things that he had confessed to doing. And in that same time frame, the church that he had belonged to in the town where we went to college, we wrote this letter about what a great guy he is. And he's a man of God. And he works in vacation Bible school. And I'm thinking, no, <gasps> oh, no, that's vacation <laughs> Bible school. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Right. Yeah. So Janice and I both went to the same church. Her ex-husband was on the worship team kind of like occasionally, like he and another um, woman had like a wedding music business. <laughs> yeah. And I used to run sound for them for weddings. And I remember that her, his business partner called me when he got arrested and I was on my way to a wedding that they were supposed to do. And she was like, I don't know what to do. He's in jail. We have to do a wedding. Like, and I remember going, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you would have never known. And I'm sure Janice would agree. Um, she probably saw some of the dark side red flags, but I would have never had any kind of idea that he was capable of that kind of stuff because of the facade that he presented. And like the fact that the church was writing that letter and saying that's it, that doesn't surprise me at all, <laughs> kind of considering that church and how much they were into appearances and things like that. But 
the idea that a church would want a person to stay married to someone who is like an actual criminal is the most insane thing. Like every time I hear about cases like this and you hear about them now to this day, like look at the Duggars and their whole thing. Yeah. And like you hear about all these churches, their leadership gets busted with sexual abuse, with child pornography, with pedophilia, whatever. And their answer almost every time, even from the congregation is like, oh, we'll forgive them and welcome them back. We'll even let them come back to the pulpit. They have no concept of like what they're doing to the people who are victims of that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, there's no regard for Janice in this whole situation. Nope. I was the sinner for for divorcing. You, okay. I'm so pissed right now. (laughs) If you told that story to any person, any rational person would say, well, no wonder you don't believe anymore. Like no wonder. Cause you got hurt. Yeah. At the same time, you can hear Christians say, oh, well, that's because you're trusting in people. God will never fail you. Like, what would you, what are your thoughts about God will never fail you in relation to that experience? Like, I just smile and just, I, because it's, I know from experience, it's a moot point trying to argue with them. When I was a Christian, if someone was doing the same thing to me and I was saying the same thing, whatever they said wouldn't have changed my mind. Living an actual experience was what turned me away from it. Not right. not people. Oh, it's my church is different. I'm sorry you were hurt like that. Come to my church. It's going to be different. Right. Oh, you should pray about it. I'll be praying for you. Words words are, are empty. Yeah. It's just like a salad. <laughs> Did you walk away and lose faith in church or God also? Started with, with church. And then as I was able to spend time away, I was able to get more clarity and ask more questions. And um, I, I don't know what I would categorize myself as anymore. Actually, I'm still, I'm still questioning. I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. That's good. You should always question and always learn. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't know what I, I believe. I don't know if it's because I still have people alive who I don't want to disappoint with saying I'm an atheist, but there's no term that really gels well with me. I'm definitely not Christian anymore, but I wouldn't call myself atheist. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know what kind of faith I would fall under. Oops, I, what kind of yeah umbrella, if any, I would fall under. And maybe that's the problem. There isn't an umbrella for like, <laughs> we shouldn't be, become confined to something like that. Right. You don't need to adopt a label if you don't want. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I was like, there's this, there's this drive in humanity, especially when it comes around religion and faith that like, you have to have some kind of category, like yeah, what you believe in or don't believe is completely your business and you don't have to justify it to anybody. Like absolutely, that's a hard thing to unlearn. Like when you've been raised yeah. in such a rigid thing where absolute truths and. Oh yeah. So I have a few thoughts about this whole thing. First of all, I think it's terrifying absolutely terrifying that your ex-husband was able to pass himself off as a decent person and an upstanding person when in reality he was a pedophile that to me is terrifying and then secondly i have a guess as to why churches want women to stay in abusive marriages or marriages where the husband turns out to be a criminal do you think it's because if they said yes go ahead get divorced from this guy They would have to acknowledge the fact that maybe God didn't orchestrate this part of their life. Like God did not ordain this couple or arrange matters so that they met. That's a good point. I'll have to sit with that. That's I I just never thought about why they would do that. I thought they just were doing that just because that's just what you you do. Maybe not even wanting to acknowledge that that it's happening. So if you're if you are divorcing someone for it, then that means that it's happening. Yeah. If you're able to keep it under wraps by staying together and being you know this church going loving Christ ordained 
married couple, then it's not happening. And they don't want to admit that God could have been wrong about your ex-husband. Yeah, I think you see that even with less drastic divorces. Like I got divorced and the shame and stuff that I felt about like my marriage ending was so intense. Like I I didn't know what to do with it because like I grew up like hearing preachers literally say, oh, divorce is not the option for the Christian. Murder maybe, but not divorce. That was like the... That was the joke that a lot of pastors would say. <laughs> Jerry Falwell yeah. used to say that, which is ridiculous because oh. you know the Bible clearly says murder is wrong too. So actually more clearly than it says divorce is wrong. Mm-hmm. They always got to cite God's plan too. Like in your situation, they would say it was all part of God's plan that you found that out. And at least he's you know getting the just recompense for his sins or whatever. And when mm-hmm. I got divorced, people would say, well, God had something better for you because mm-hmm. that marriage wasn't the right one for you because your ex-wife didn't want to have a family and you wanted to have a family and look at you now you're happy now and blah blah blah. god had it all planned out and i was like did he though because i got a family and kids but i'm also an atheist now so like, right yeah. if he had the foreknowledge to hook me up with the wife and kids you think he might have kept me on the believing side of the of the team they don't want to acknowledge that the things that plague all of humanity are just as prevalent in the church and some of the more heinous stuff is more prevalent in the church you know than it is even in the outside world like so how did your parents take take it when you left the church they at that point they understood i know it still breaks my mom's heart that i'm not as involved but she doesn't blame me which again i'm so thankful for i know that there are so many um people who have left the church and their families are no contact with them they are shunned and i'm so beyond thankful that i still have them in my my life i know that they wish another for for me to go another way but they also see that i'm so much happier yeah Mm. like i said i'm 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 always anxious but i've been less anxious since i've left the, the church isn't that funny i'm more free to be who I am unapologetically. People are like, oh my God, you do a lot of crazy shit. You do, <laughs> you do all kinds of, of of things. You go here and there and you wait, you're in your late 30s, you don't have kids. Wow, that's so that's so brave of you. I'm like, I, I get to be who I am now. Right. And I freaking love it. I'm I still suffer from you know anxiety to depression, all the millennial BS that unfortunately has plagued us, but I'm a bit happier doing it. At the end of the day, I feel better about myself. I feel more kind towards humanity than I did when I was in the church. You mentioned this a couple of times that you kind of were always an anxious person and that you struggle with depression and anxiety and stuff like that as a kid or even as a like a young adult. Did you ever talk about that kind of stuff with your parents or church leaders or whatever? And did they give you any kind of like guidance on how to deal with anxiety in general when you were a Christian? Um, I was 12 when I confessed to an older um, girl from our youth group that I'm like, I'm feeling this way. I don't know what, what to do. It was, it was over AOL instant messenger late, late at night. I, I felt cool. I could stay and not talking to this older girl, but then I just confessed everything to her. She said, you need to talk to your parents. And I was terrified. Mm-hmm. because I, I didn't want them to, I, I didn't know how they, they'd respond. I've never seen them respond negatively in regards to anything regarding mental health, but that's kind of made it worse because I couldn't gauge how they would respond. So I ended up writing a, a letter, left it out. And then the next day my dad said, okay, we're going to schedule you an, an appointment. So then I started taking, I started, I was on, I can't remember what it was, but I did see a doctor and I was given antidepressants. So I am very, very, very thankful 
So your parents didn't follow the thing that a lot of conservative churches do that like psychology was evil. The only counseling you would go to would be like counseling with the pastor who was not a Mm -hmm. psychiatrist or a psychologist. So that's really good that they had the like awareness to know, okay, this is not something that can be healed with prayer. Mm -hmm. They didn't just tell you to trust God and get over it. (laughs) Reading the Bible more. Yeah. Yeah. I've witnessed people saying that to other people. Like you just needed to pray, pray on it, pray on it. Oh, you just need Jesus. And, you know, like people can say that jokingly, but if someone's in the middle of a mental health crisis, I've, I've seen a paramedic say that to someone having anxiety attack back in Virginia. You just need to to pray on it. You just need to start going to to church. And I was, I was a lowly EMT. So, you know, there's not much I could say, but my mind was like, what the frick? (laughs) How, how, (laughs) like something y'all brought up a few weeks ago, was it a thought terminating phrases? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. It's one of them because how, how, yeah. How do you argue that? You know, it's, you, you know, you don't believe it, but you can't tell them. Right. Fuck off. <laughs> because yeah. it's like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. And that's always scary when a medical professional is telling you something like that. Cause like you get scared whenever I hear about a nurse or a doctor, you know, sitting by someone's bedside praying with them. Like, cause you're like, oh, Jesus, yeah. like, why the fuck are you doing that? Put them on an IV. Like they don't need <laughs> prayer for fuck's sake. Right. Like yeah, give them some Xanax and yeah. refer them to someone who can actually delve into mental health. Yeah. It's, it's so sad because like I've had anxiety attacks where you feel like you are going to die. It feels like you're having a heart attack and like someone's choking you and there is no other way except death. Yeah. So when if someone came in and belittled me like that, Oh, <laughs> And then they, they wonder why suicide is a thing amongst shoot I, I all all age groups actually yeah young I've had eight year olds in my care who uh, tried to unalive themselves oh well, that's heartbreaking. heartbreaking yeah well and especially in the church and in Christianity a kid that's having mental health legitimate mental health issues like suicidal ideation or self harm or depression or any of those things they can't they don't feel like they can go to anybody and get help. So then the logical thing that they're going to go to is say, well, I believe in Jesus. If I die, I'm going to go to heaven. So Mm -hmm. let me, that's kind of a logical progression for a kid who is dealing with mental health issues and doesn't feel like they have any resource except for to pray. You can pray until you're blue in the face, but it's not going to change anything if you're clinically depressed or if you have suicidal thoughts like that's it's just not how it works you know Mm -hmm. yeah sidebar there but yeah i think that's an that's an important topic like how the church deals with mental health issues and mental illness is very damaging that's a life and death issue like from people that are supposed to be loving and care about people and then you find out like how many people in the church were suffering or are suffering from it but they can't say anything they can't do anything because they're told yeah, no, just pray on it or don't, don't say anything. It'll make us look bad if they're especially right. one of the mean families in the church. Mm-hmm. They, can't, they can't possibly look weak. Like right. I, if I cancer, would I look weak? No, it's cancer. We're going yeah. to do shit about it and we're going to work to get rid of it. Right. But if it's mental health, if it's depression, anxiety, whatever else, oh no, shh, don't talk. Don't, don't, don't talk about it. You need yeah. to pray about it between you and God. And yeah. Like my mom struggled with depression when I was a child. And I, like, I watched her go through this phase of depression. Like I remember at one point sitting on the beach and watching her smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? Like you're the pastor's wife. Like, why are you smoking cigarettes? You know, but she mm-hmm. would never, and she went to counseling, you know, with the pastor who turned out that he was having an affair with some woman in the church. So great job. But, Shocker. Um, 
you know, big shocker there. But yeah, but like she had bona fide mental health issues and it wasn't until way later in life that she finally went to an actual psychiatrist and got antidepressants and, you know, realized, oh shit, like medicine actually helps. Like praying never made a difference in my mom's mental health, but she still does it to this day, Like, <laughs> still does it, you know, but. And that's what I was going to bring up is all of these anecdotes that I've heard from people when they're depressed as Christians and as children, they can't tell anyone and they just pray and they're struggling silently with themselves. And then they do finally get treatment and they finally get their antidepressants and their anti-anxiety medications. And suddenly they feel so much better. And right. this happened to your mom. Yeah. How is she not putting that together? Medicine worked, prayer didn't. Right. Well, and it's like Janice said, it's like in any other illness in life, you would go to the doctor, you get medication, except for when my parents had COVID, they, you know, pray, tried to pray through that too and wound up in the hospital. But so yeah. it's not, it's not, you know, all the way across the board, but in general, like you accept that doctors and medication will help you through an ailment, you know, but when it comes to mental mm -hmm. anxiety or depression or whatever, it's like, oh no, no, God's, God's big enough for that, you know? What I've seen, and then there's been a lot of parodies I've seen with this, is the doctors will save someone's life. That like, whether it's like you know, like doing CPR or like a, a surgery, or they have a diagnosis. Suddenly, uh, you know, before prayer was the only way to do it, and now it's oh, thank God for this for this pr provider. Right. <laughs> God brought this pr provider in, so therefore, when you all, all glory to God. Right. But before prayer was the only way to go around it. Right. And it didn't I work. Can't, I can't wrap my yeah. head around it. <laughs> yeah. That's one of our favorite things to rail about too. Like when people like praise God instead of the doctors when they save someone's life. Like it's a simple equation. If prayer plus nothing does not work, and prayer plus medication works, and medication plus nothing works, how is it not obvious that prayer doesn't do shit? Right. You know? <laughs> Common sense. You're dangerously coached to using logic and reason. We don't, that's not allowed. No, I should stop doing that. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about, you mentioned early on about purity culture and how pervasive that was in your early life. And then, you know, as you got into adulthood and stuff like that. So just in case people who are listening aren't really familiar with this, purity culture was a really big concept that was extremely popular in the church, like in the 90s. You know, the general gist of it was about maintaining virginity until marriage, especially for women. It was definitely more oppressive to women than men. There was definitely a male side of it that is different. But for women, if you lost your virginity before marriage, you were like a wrinkled dollar. You were like a flower, <laughs> a, a flower with crinkled petals, you know, all kinds of things that like the true love waits movement was the whole thing like you mentioned with the promise rings and signing the pledge and second virginity april of joy when she was on she talked about like oh you can get second virginity you know if you just decide that you're a virgin again like <laughs> and apologize for your sexual sin like so how did purity culture affect your like adult relationships especially since you got married at such a young age it made it difficult for me to have healthy relationships with people of the opposite sex because in my head it was ingrained the person that you date is the person you're going to marry so i'm now single um in my mid-20s never had the um experience of going of going out with 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 men and you know feeling it out okay maybe for me or, or okay this actually works out so 
I end up falling into a relationship really quickly after that ended up being very emotionally abusive because I was, I was easily man manipulated and he found he's straight up bonafide narcissist. He was able to find my, my weaknesses and let me know that he was going to take care of me and this and this, but then he would spend days accusing me of cheating and lying to me and just all kinds of stuff. So then I had to deal with that fallout because I was still on antidepressants. I was actually on another one after everything with the first husband <laughs> for obvious reasons. And yeah. I had started yeah. gaining weight and I, and I told the doctor, I didn't really want to be on this medication because it's making me gain weight. So they put me on a, on a new one and I started having um, hallucinations, auditory hallucinations. And turns out that is a side effect of that medication. And I was losing my mind. It was scary. I my heart goes out to anyone who has that as in like a chronic illness, like this, like people with schizophrenia. My heart breaks from them because that was so frustrating and scary. And then I ended up in the hospital. Thankfully, I was not admitted for um, anything because they've determined it was a medication. I got off it. It was fantastic, but the that boyfriend used that against me and was trying to manipulate me with all that stuff and I got him out and then I magically felt better funny mm. how that happens yeah so then I, I tried dating a little bit but it was very difficult um especially being at that age and in that area where of uh, like a lot of the military men want to get married quickly and have families mm -hmm. and it's about me like I've never wanted to be pregnant I've never wanted to give birth and I've had to, I'm at the point where I'm okay with being in a relationship with someone if they have a kid it just depends on what my role is supposed to be but back then I'm like I don't want anything to, to, to do with having kids and so I was going through not only some kind of deconstruction, but also defining who I was as, as a person in this brave new world of mine. And I was single for a couple of years and I really enjoyed it. I, I did find out who I, I was. And then I, I did end up getting married recently, recently, recently divorced from, from that one. Uh, too soon to talk too much about that. But I am back to where I was before the second marriage and I'm still struggling a little bit, but I have found my people. I'm yeah. less afraid to say who I am, what I am, what I believe. And there are people who don't agree with that or don't like that, but they're not chastising me. Yeah. And that is fantastic. We can agree to disagree on some things. Like basic human rights. I will not um, <laughs> agree to disagree on. Don't come after my, my trans friends, my non-binary friends. I, I will not um, tolerate that mess. And because I'm stand, standing up for myself, I know who I am more. It's made it just so much easier and so much more pleasant to enjoy life in general. And I hope that if I were to ever find myself in a committed relationship again, it's going to be one where I'm not compromising on anything. What do you think are some of the impacts that purity culture had on you, like your views as a woman, like your own sexual sexuality? How does purity culture affect that even before you were married and then when you're married and then going through dating? Like, what are some of the ways that that kind of affected you? You know, remember that song, um, You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt? No, I can't say that I do remember that song, but I feel like we're going to have to use that as the intro music or something. For the episode. <laughs> I'm not, not going to sing it. No, you can't get to heaven. No, you can't get to heaven in a miniskirt. In a miniskirt. No, you can't get to heaven in a miniskirt. No, you can't get to heaven in a miniskirt because God don't want those boys to flirt. <laughs> All my sins are washed away. I've been redeemed. Is this a parody song or is it a real song? This is a straight up children's church song that I grew up with. Shut oh, the no. fuck up. I got to so look this up. It starts young. Oh, and so when it's disgusting. So I'm hearing this and I hear miniskirt and I'm thinking 
Minnie Mouse. So I'm picturing <laughs> someone in a Minnie Mouse skirt because then again, going back to Disney, not you know being a bad thing. Oh, it must be a Minnie Mouse thing because a Disney the Minnie Mouse on a skirt is bad. And so when until I was older, that meant short skirts. Right. But even but even outside of the church, that that mindset is very pre- pervasive. You go to school and your virtue is based on the length of your arms and the length of your torso because if you have to have your arms down by your side and if your your shorts or skirt go past your fingertips the clothing has to go beyond your fingertips whenever you put your fingers down by by your side yes fingertip length (laughs) yes wait this was at your church or your school in both places church and school where your your virtue is based on how much skin you show or how how much you cover up did you go to a religious school then no public school what well yeah I will absolutely <laughs> rail on people who have these dress code violations where they look absolutely fine. But because one person was like, oh, that's too much skin. First of all, why are you looking at a female student like that? Because some of these things, it's not even not even close to being in- inappropriate, but because... Right. It's it's some it's very power trippy, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, no, that's the biggest part about purity culture is it's about power and control mm-hmm. because you can't allow a woman to have sexuality, and that's why they're putting the blame for all man's sexual deviance on a woman. It wouldn't surprise me, given your experience in your first marriage, that someone in the church would have told you, oh, well, he would have never done that stuff if you were satisfying him sexually in the marriage. Like, Did anybody tell you that? I had people indirectly ask me that um, yeah. in, in, in a very roundabout way. His family, I, lo- I loved his mom. His dad did not like me. When we were married, I still got chastised for being a woman. Going back to his business partner that he had, had the music business partner, she was at our apartment one day and his dad was there. And he asked the friend, so you're going to be graduating college next year? She's like, yes, I'm going to be graduating and then we're doing this. And then he turns to me and says, and you'll graduate in two years if you can keep your pants on. You were married at that point? I was married. And I said, excuse me? (laughs) Why would you say that? You're married. I can't win. I can't win if I'm single. I can't win if I'm married. So I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want at this point because I can't please everybody. And the people pleaser in me has started to accept that. So I'm just going to make myself happy as long as I'm not hurting anybody and no one's suffering because of my choices. Like le- legit suffering, not yeah. not my feelings are hurt suffering. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you talked a little bit about never wanting to have children. That was never something that you wanted to do. Did you experience a lot of pressure for that as well? Like once you get married and stuff, it's like, okay, it's time to have kids now. Like, yep. Yep. As soon as you get married, you come back to your honeymoon. So we're going to have kids. I'm going to have grandkids. Right. My mom knew, she said she knew when I was in kindergarten that I was not going to be someone who has kids. So she's already accepted that. She knows she's only going to have for grandchildren from me. My sister has a, has a lot of kids, so she gets her, her fill that way being a grandparent. Thankfully, I've been brave enough to be more vocal about my child-free choice because there's a community out there where people are like, oh my God, I feel the same way. And that's just one great thing about social media. There's so many things wrong with it, but I can find people who have the same mentality and who are braver than I am to come up with um, arguments to talk to people out. Whenever people ask me these questions, I'm not going, I just don't want to. It just makes me yeah. a little bit braver to realize that there are people out there who have the same mentality. I don't dislike kids. And people think that, oh, you don't you don't want kids, you must want them all to die. No, I <laughs> I love kids. Like, like I want to be the crazy Aunt Janice. Right. I've accepted that that's my, my kid and I love it. Yeah. But uh, the fighting through that was, you know, I was going against my biological destiny and who's going to take care of you when you're older. 
Um, don't you want to know what they, they look like? Which is the dumbest reason to have kids, <laughs> by the way. But <laughs> right. Your biological destiny. Yes. Wow. So I also know that you went through some pretty hefty medical concerns around your female anatomy. Mm-hmm. So you had endometriosis, right? And then went through all right. the stuff that went along with that, which basically made yeah. it so you couldn't have kids. Like, how did that factor into your your feelings about your womanhood and stuff? Like, did, was purity culture something that like was pervasive during that time when you're like, oh no, I'm not going to be a woman if I I'm dealing with these medical issues. The issues came more so from the doctors I was talking to um, because I had such severe endometriosis and it was actually found out by a fluke. I've had it for years. I would pass out from the pain, bleeding so heavy and they had me on birth control. They didn't really do, do too much. And they just say, oh, it's all in your head. You know, you cramps are normal. Bleeding's normal. Um, I had one doctor tell me that the way to fix it was to have babies. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I know parents and they freaking love their, their kids. Like they, they would die for them, but that seems like a really weird reason to have to, have, to get pregnant. Yeah. And it's not fair to the, the baby who's going to grow up to be a grown ass person to just be brought into the world. Oh, because you might heal my, my medical issue. Right. <laughs> It's a terrible reason to have a child. So yeah, so the, the the biggest hurdle was talking to doctors because they all like I had one doctor tell me I should go to therapy for not wanting kids. And who doesn't want kids? Kids are great. Wow. And wow. I was finally able to find a doctor when I just went in and pleaded. I said, I I know I don't want them. I I've at this time I was um single when I got the surgery to get sterilized. Like I shouldn't have to wait to get married to have a husband signed per permission. He's like, Okay, yeah, that's fine. I'll have to talk to my ethics about it because that's what they had to do. But I had no issue with that. And I've had zero regrets. I'm a better person. I'm in less pain. I can be a better <laughs> functioning human in society. And that's really just all I want. I just wanted to feel better. Yeah. I ended up actually getting a, um, a hysterectomy, total hysterectomy. Thankfully, no one's in the church has given me any kind of grief about that. But it it violates your biological destiny. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. So the other thing that's like big in purity culture, and maybe you can talk about this experience too, like gender roles are like a real big thing. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to harken back to your first marriage, but that was your Christian mm-hmm. marriage. So like, yeah. how did gender roles, you know, how was that perceived and played out in your Christian marriage? Uh, I was definitely the worst Christian wife ever because gender roles suck. (laughs) Um, But I also had that anxiety of, well, I need to behave. So I I was living in this weird purgatory of, I want to please God and please my husband and be the right person, but also fuck all that shit. (laughs) You know, I wasn't saying those words because I was trying to, you know, have a clean mouth, but I'm catching up now. Thankfully, the first husband never pushed it. He would talk about it, but I'm pretty strong-willed. I'm th- thankful for for that at least because there were some things I put my foot down heavy on. Like he, um, he came to me one time and told me that one of the pastors back in our college town was trying to get him to start up a branch of that church in our town. And I said, is that something you want to do? 
He's like, well, this pastor says that he feels I'm being called to it. I'm like, oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I was a very bad wife in that regard. Very bad Christian wife in that regard. Yeah. I always found the gender role thing. Like it's something that I struggle with, like growing up in uber Christianity too. And the way purity culture like affected me was a little bit different, but like you've got this mindset as like a man that, oh, you're supposed to be the head of the household. And I still struggle with this. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, it's my job to do this. And it's my wife's job to do this. And then I have to be like, what the fuck? No, it isn't like, it doesn't matter. Like, and still like I've been out of Christianity for, you know, several years and stuff, but that programming runs so deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a reflex. Like you're like, oh, you mm-hmm. have this immediate thing. Like, oh, I've got to react this way because I'm the man or, and mm. it's the same for women. It's like, oh, my job is to submit and whatever and all that. And most women that are successful in the world these days are not known for their submissive spirit. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. So to kind of wrap up the purity culture thing, how, how have your views changed? Uh, I guess about sexuality, about womanhood, about purity, quote unquote, how has your views changed on that now, like post-Christian or, or post-religion? Purity is such a construct and it's it's so damaging that like even the people, the, the big names back in that, that, that culture have reneged on that. Like the guy that wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, <laughs> he's gone back. He's like, I think he's an atheist now. And he's like, yeah, that was a very sucky kind of lifestyle to live because it's very detrimental. And mm-hmm. There's, see, there's like a, a, a Christian singer. I think she came out as queer within the, the last few years. So I think we're starting to see people from our our era coming out being like, that was very, that was a very, very painful and very dark time in our history because it's messed up a lot of thinking. Like yeah. I still jump to these conclusions r- real quick about things. Like you said, like it's these reflexes. But then I'm like, I'm, a, I'm being a hypocrite because I don't care what consenting adults do behind closed doors. I don't give a crap. I don't know why we're so obsessed with it. Um, we need to be more concerned about what why why people are so obsessed with uh, with children's genitalia and not like why are we more worried about that? Yeah. Why aren't we more worried about that? Yeah. About people being with with that kind of mentality. I think it's really cool to see people from that time coming out and confessing that they they they're struggling with it still. They're having a hard time with it, and hopefully, future generations won't have that same issue. Because it truly, it changes the way that you feel about yourself and your body. When I'm being told that my body belongs to my future husband and belongs to, to God, nowhere in that it says your body belongs to you. Right. So now I feel like I have more bodily autonomy. And that's why everyone should be able to, everyone deserves, everyone deserves to be, yes, you know, fuck yes, fuck no about anything in, in regards to their, their body. And that was not something that we had growing up. And thankfully it, I wasn't one of the people in the church who was getting like molested and whatnot. But as an adult, people thought that they had the right to access to my body if it wasn't a fuck yes, fuck no type of situation. Right. Like I've I've been um, sexually assaulted as an adult, actually fairly re- recently, actually <laughs> within the, the last year or so, and it's very frustrating how people think that they have access to anybody like that. And I hate that that may have started that, that 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 was perpetuated so strongly when we were growing up and maybe that's their, their reflex. And yeah. that's, un, that's unfortunate, but being able to finally claim myself for who I am, um, being able to strip down for three weeks in Guyana and doing the, the least sexy thing that you can do naked <laughs> and be respected 
in a way that I've never been respected before, clothed or not, was one of the most freeing things that I have ever done. And I hope that everyone can experience that same feeling. They don't have to go to Guyana or anywhere else and feel like they need to strip down somewhere to get that. But I hope that more people, especially people who've been damaged by the church like that, can finally get that bodily autonomy back and be fuck yes or fuck no in regards to their relationships and anything involving their their, their bodies and their well-being. You mentioned Naked and Afraid. I wanted to kind of ask you about that. I'm glad you brought up because it kind of leads to the next question, which is like the ways you rebelled against purity <laughs> culture in general. Because I remember when you went to go beyond Naked and Afraid as a medic, I was like, oh, that's an interesting career choice. That sounds cool. Like, like, but then I was like, she's going to have to do like, see a lot of like naked people in like fucked up situations. Like, I think I saw a video of you where you and one of your medic partners were like sewing back a guy's balls, like in, in some jungle. And I'm like, she's definitely taken the purity culture and just given it the finger. Like she's, and then when you said, oh, I'm going to be on the show as a contestant, I'm like, oh, she's. She's like come full circle. Like, was that kind of a rebellion against purity culture programming? Was that part of your thought process when you had that opportunity? Because it wasn't intended to be, but it was definitely the kind of healing that needed to happen. The like definitely the nail on the coffin of fuck you guys, I'm doing what I want. Yeah. <laughs> that decision, like like I said before, it wasn't hurting anybody. Right. And like I said it was the least sexy thing you can do naked. So it wasn't even a thing about at the time about purity. I mean, yeah, you, right. you know, make jokes. You know, there's always oh, the dudes always talk about how shrunken up they are because it's cold or whatever. But <laughs> a body is a body. I, I don't know, I've been at EMS for 16 years, and a body part just a body part. Yeah, it's you know, sexy is, is sub subjective, and if you can put, if you can compartmentalize. Okay, this is sexy times, and this is everything else. Yeah, only the first 15 minutes of my first day working as a medic for the show, it was weird because we are wearing long sleeves, long pants, because it's in Louisiana, we're getting bitten by bugs. And then there's, oh, naked people is a big paradigm shift, but it wasn't like, oh my God, I can't look. I mean, just another body. And, and you know what? It is so freeing. I can see why people are nudists because it is just, when you're that confident to, to get like that and, and be vulnerable like that, not even like not vulnerable in like a, a sexual way, but just stripped of any comfort. Yeah. It's beyond freeing. And I really hope I get asked to come back to do another challenge because it was very re revealing. And when you're hungry and sleep deprived, you have a lot of time to think. Are there any other ways that you've kind of rebelled against purity culture and your progression? Oh, you know, sex outside of marriage is a big, big thing I've done that that would piss off a lot of, a lot of people. Um, the free love type of mentality that I've I've garnished and just people, you don't have to be married in order to be able to have intimate relationships with your friends and whoever else. I mean, I've I've been I am more open to the idea of being non-monogamous and non-hetero. And that's been a big thing for me to talk through. I went through to counseling with that fairly recently and I, it came out and just how, where I fall on the spectrum of things and it just, it fit. Yeah. I sat with it for a little bit and just felt right. So would you both say that purity culture is less prevalent now in the church than it was in the nineties or is it still going on? I haven't, I don't know what it is in the church. I just, I just see so much of it being put out in society in general and like in regards to like dress codes and um, people were freaking out over cleavage and whatever, but 
Right. Um, I, I don't know what it's like in the, in the church anymore. Well, okay. and I think it's different now because back then it was like mainstream and cool. Yeah. Now it's like more niche in like, it, it's probably in the church in the same level. And I'm sure there's still churches doing purity pledges and like, but now it seems like the purity culture has shifted against LGBTQ, against trans, against non-binary. Basically the whole sexual spectrum now is the target of purity culture. Mm-hmm. If you're not white, cis, hetero, well then you're deviant, you know? And I think that's where purity culture is now. And I think the majority of society, though, views that as backwards. They're like, no, that's not how it is. But there's still a very vocal minority that wants to make that mm-hmm. popular again. I mean, look at Florida. Florida is basically trying to turn the whole state into a freaking <sighs> true love weights fucking convention. Like, you know, they want to outlaw everything. Mm-hmm. Florida's nuts right now. Yeah. I'm glad we got to talk about that because purity culture is like one of those things that I think is probably one of the biggest holdovers for anyone that grew up in like that evangelical framework. Like I remember when I got divorced, I struggled so hard with the idea of like, well, what do I do now sexually? Like, okay, I was was married for 10 years and I actually had to rationalize it. I said, well, it's not premarital sex anymore. It's postmarital sex. And so, I mean, that's what I told myself for several you know, opportunities. And like the thing that was mind blowing to me is like I would meet women and they had no hangups about sex. There was like there was no hemming and hawing. They were like, well, if it happens, it happens. Like, you know, the only ones mm-hmm. that I dated that had that I ever had a discussion about sexuality with were the Christian ones, you know. Mm-hmm. I dated someone who wasn't a Christian. They were they were just like they assumed that sex was gonna happen and that it was okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is how it is. Like, holy shit. For the male side, what was like the whole true love weights culture like for you all? I know like you know, we you know, we were the ones who were gonna make you as brothers in Christ fall, but what was it like for y'all? What were you all taught? Oh, well, for us, the big thing was like lusting and pornography. Okay. If you look at a woman and lust after her, you like need to immediately go have an accountability partner and like apologize for lusting for your sister in Christ, you know, which is just disgusting as a terminology anyway. (laughs) And then if you looked at pornography, you know, then it was an addiction and it was demeaning to women. And I believe some pornography is demeaning to women, but by and large, you know, the sex work industry is actually you know, just women doing what the fuck they want to do and men too. Like, so, but pornography, there's a lot of shame around that. And of course, like if you masturbated, well then, well, that's, that's a big no go because you're, you're spilling parts of your body. That's you're supposed to save for your wife because you need to have a family. Oh, geez. You know, even to the point of like, cause it's a limited supply, right? Yeah. I mean, even (laughs) wet, even if you had like a wet dream or a nocturnal emission, you're going to get shamed for it. Better save it in a bottle. Right. Give it to your wife on your wedding night. Well, <laughs> exactly. Like in a big jar. Like here, I saved this for you, babe. Oh, that's disgusting. It's fucking disgusting. Oh we may have to edit this just for disgustingness, no. but here's the purity culture line and we jumped right over it. Yep. But yeah, I think it was different. Like it was a different kind of shame because it was like, well, your job is to be that you're, you have to be the head of the family and you can't ask your wife, your future wife to be a virgin if you're not a virgin. That was at least my experience. I know some people, 
men didn't have that experience. There was no talk of like men maintaining their virginity. It was more like, oh, well, men are going to do what they're going to do. And women were the ones that had to be pure. So that wasn't my experience. There was a lot of guilt and shame around any kind of sexuality. And this is also rooted in the idea of the one, you know, which I think is one of the most insidious things in Christian theology or in, in relationships in general, like the idea that there is one person that you're supposed to be with and that you have to save yourself for that person and that they have to save themselves for you. And then if you didn't, you're totally messing up God's plan. And I actually saw a Christian professor debunk the one when I was at Liberty University, which was astounding because most of everything wow. he said, he was saying, look, there is no one because, and he drew it up on the board. You know, if, if Bob is supposed to marry, you know, Jill, but Jill meets Ed and they fall in love. Well, now God's plan has been usurped. And now mm-hmm. the whole plan for these people has been thrown off. And he was like, you know, the one that you're supposed to marry is the one that you marry, you know, like, which I thought was interesting, you know, that like you have to basically commit to the person that you decide to commit to. Let's move on from purity cultures before this gets too X rated. <laughs> And you touched on this a little bit, but like, how would you describe your kind of your faith journey now? Like you said, you don't really categorize yourself, but like, what would you describe where you are? I hate to sound like a typical white chick, but like, I am a spiritual person. I do believe that there's something, I don't know what, I don't know if it's energies between people or, or if there is some deity or deities, but until something sits with me and sits well with me, I'm not going to accept it. Yeah. I'm not going to blindly follow anything anymore. I have enough critical thinking skills to where I can rash, I can try to rationalize something. I know that that's, you know, critical thinking is of the the devil and (laughs) it's, but but that's where I am. Um, Like there's, there's a a Buddhist temple right down the way from me. I I walk by it whenever I'm I'm out walking that street. I think it's freaking beautiful. And I kind of want to step in sometime, kind of like see what they're, I don't know, like learn, learn more about it. I know a couple of uh, Buddhists and they're some of the nicest people ever, but then you can also be a wicked, nice person and not believe in anything. Yeah. So um, I, I, I'm trying to accept that I don't need to belong to any kind of church or any kind of group, which is hard, but I've moved to an area that's a little bit more liberal than what I'm used to. And I'm not being asked to go to churches. I'm not being bombarded by a different church at every corner. There was, was over the weekend, there was a group outside, you know, advertising some church or whatever. And one sign said, there is no violence with God. And I laughed out loud in, in my car alone. <laughs> like, have you read the Bible? Right. <laughs> yeah. Are we reading the same Bible? Yeah. So I'm, I'm still keeping an open mind, but I've also have been through enough experiences to where I know what I don't want. And I don't want to be blindly following something because that's what everyone's doing. That's what I should do. That's the right thing to do. But it still has a little bit ingrained in me that I also don't want to take off anyone by saying what I really believe. Yeah. Still have like that self-protection type thing a little yes. bit, like where some yeah. arguments aren't worth having. Like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's just better to be, okay, cool. I mean, that's, that's what you believe. And as long as you're not hurting anybody and taking away anyone's rights, because you think that they're less than whatever, let's, yeah. let's roll. What are some resources 
that you found to be helpful in your kind of journey away from Christianity or the church? Like, has there been anything in particular that's been useful? Honestly, other people like you and I have had some good talks um, in over the last several years about similar stuff. And we were both starting uh, down this route. But again, finding communities and like-minded people who can who have similar experiences and then you kind of talk, talk to them and learn where they come from and what their thoughts are. Like they've been the best resource and the best, the, the yeah, best resource and best support. There hasn't yeah. really been any, yeah. any, any books or any um, it's just, it's, it's just been life experience and people. And yeah. that's always really kind of the best teacher. Yeah. It's just helpful to know that you're not alone, even just when mm. you're talking to other people. Like I thought I didn't know anybody in real life who had deconverted from Christianity until I went online on Facebook, on Reddit, and I found people. Yeah. And that yeah. was, the first step of like, oh, I'm not insane. There are other people who have done this and it can be done and I can heal. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's one of those things that is still like developing in the like ex-Christian community. Like it's one of the things that a lot of people miss about Christianity is like the kind of ready-made family and community that like a church <laughs> kind of provides like a bunch of yeah. like-minded people. Whereas when you get outside of church, it's like you kind of got to hunt for like-minded people. But then I also find it also interesting. And this may be really true for where you are out in uh, New Mexico. Like there's more people that are like-minded just walking the street than you ever thought before. Like when you were a Christian, most people that you meet in everyday life haven't experienced like this kind of abusive indoctrination. And like, they just want to hang out and talk about life in general. Like not everything revolves around a deity, which is like really refreshing. Like <laughs> so refreshing. Cool. Well, do you have any other, any like final thoughts or things that you'd want to share that you think might be helpful? Or? I think we've covered everything. I mean, there's been so many things that I've gone through and done that I, I haven't talked about, but I know that I'm making some people, you know, clutch their pearls and <laughs> never I talk about like being like more sexually free. Like, I mean, even doing like my, my pole dancing as a hobby, you know, being a dancer for a little bit. I'm doing things for for me and it's unlearning that selfishness and learning that I am my own person. I don't need anyone to own my, my body except me. Mm -hmm. And that's, I hope that people who've gone through the same shit that we've gone through, they're able to, to find that eventually because life is so much better on this side of it. Yeah. I think that concept of what you just said of that you are your own is really important for people to realize there's actually a book out there. I don't know if you've ever read it by Jamie Lee Finch and that's what it's called. You are your own. And she just talks about that whole idea of reclaiming yourself for yourself. And she talks about herself kind of in the third person and she calls her, calls her a she and says, she talks about her body and it's a really like refreshing way. And I feel like that's something that a lot of people need is the, the permission to be themselves and to love themselves and to take care of themselves and just do whatever the fuck they want <laughs> and not, yeah. have, not have to rely on, you know, rules and regulations right. by and large people that like are really taking care of themselves and accepting of themselves are the most loving people because they want to treat other people the same way that they treat themselves. And Mm, that's wise. The powerful philosophy that the Bible stole from every other religion. 
it still makes sense. The golden rule. It's like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, not, it's not in every world religion for no reason. It's because it actually is a thing that is useful. Like treat other people how you want to be treated and start with treating yourself how you would like to be treated. You know, that's a hard thing to learn. So it's awesome yes. that you are on that path of learning. So yes, thank you. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Janice. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So what do you think? I love the way that she's reclaimed herself since breaking away from the church and from her first husband and her second husband. Yeah. You're right. She's a badass. Yeah. <laughs> she really is. I, I really commend her for knowing that she didn't want to have children and then also not letting people push her into it. Right. I mean, she could have easily just oh. acquiesced to that as, you know, the submissive Christian wife, but she didn't. Yeah. And that turned out the better for her. I mean, the world is in no shortage of children. So yeah. There's no reason why she has to have them. Well, and she wouldn't have been able to do any of the stuff that she's done in her life if she had a kid. Yeah. Stop making me jealous. Phil. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do anything either. So it's fine. We're both just chained. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It really is not for everybody. Oh, yeah. The idea of pressuring people because of a set of like made up morals and, and all that bullshit and say you have to have children because that's what God wants you to do. It's ridiculous. Like, it's just another way to like elicit control over someone. Yeah. You got a bunch of kids. They're more likely to stick in your little group because they can't go anywhere because they need support. Yeah. The kids thing, it's because they want um, little Christians, little mm -hmm. Christian soldiers. And that's the easiest way to get them. It's, yeah. it's more effective than um, converting people. It's more effective than outreach. That was like that Pew Research thing that we talked about. Yeah. And then the other, like, it's ridiculous to think that the be fruitful and multiply command would apply to everyone. <laughs> right. That God would have a blanket plan for every single woman on the earth. That is right. a ridiculous concept. It doesn't hold up logically. No woman should ever feel like it's her God-given command to have children. Right. Anyway, I don't really know how to wrap up this episode unless you want to talk about TV shows and we could do that. Um, TV shows. Like you wanted to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. That's not a TV show. That's a movie. That's a movie. I know. But anyway. So, well, all right. Well, we'll just have a little promo blurb. So last night I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I think you already know this, but Guardians of the Galaxy, the trilogy is one of my favorite, all time favorite movies. So I was really excited to see Guardians of the Galaxy 3. And I was very, very pleasantly surprised that, I, you know what? I don't want to give spoilers. It's not a plot spoiler, though. It is. It? Oh, it, it is. is. Okay. That's why I don't want to say it. All right. So upcoming in a future episode, we, yeah. we're, we're going to talk about, and maybe not just Guardians of the Galaxy, but we're going to talk about theological themes in television and movies. Yes. And so I asked my friend to be a guest co-host with us for that episode because he, he loves movies. He loves Marvel. And he's also an atheist and he listens to our podcast. Nice. And so I thought he would be a good fit. I, I carpooled cool. with this guy for... 10 years, me and, and a few other guys, we carpooled every day. And our ride was two hours round trip. So we talked a lot and he's hilarious. Oh, that's cool. Um, So we're going to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy 3, probably Thor, Love and Thunder, Age of Ultron. I guess I need to like watch a lot of Marvel movies. You have which... a lot of homework to do, Phil, if you want to participate. Yeah, we'll talk about The Good Place, I would think, too. Holy forking shirt balls. How <laughs> did I forget The Good Place? Yeah, you can't forget The Good Place. That's critical. So maybe this will be a call for send us in tv shows that have pointed out some kind of theological theme either about christianity or about atheism humanism you know that sort of thing so we yeah. can kind of add them to the list so that'll be a, a crowd call for the millions yeah. of you out there listening and by millions <laughs> i mean seven well there's more than seven 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? Be sure to join us on our Facebook group, Dangerous Questions, and follow us at flawedtheologypodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Rate and review the podcast on Google, Spotify, Apple. Those uh, reviews are really cool and we like to hear from them. So until next time, keep asking the dangerous questions. See you next time. Oh, speaking of masturbation, that was the class that um, <laughs> people dared me to ask him, is masturbation okay as long as you're not lusting? So like, if you're thinking about a tree, is it okay? <laughs> and, and me being the total asshole that I was, I sit out in class, like 50, 60 people in the class, and I just still remember his face where he goes, no, I'm not going to answer that. That is disgusting for me. <laughs> because, because even at Liberty, I was a bit of an asshole, you know, trying to challenge the, the status quo while rededicating my life to Christ every third Tuesday. We will edit out whatever, you know, is too inappropriate or yeah, we're just, just going to leave it all know. in or we're going to put it at the end and like put like an NC-17 rating. Well, we're on. definitely leaving the sperm jar in there. Yeah, that kind of needs to stay. Yeah. 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 Somewhere. If we really want to mess up the title of the episode, we can call it the one with the sperm jar. So <laughs> maybe it should be a sperm bucket. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's been a lot of years, right? I, I feel like we're gonna need to find some. We're gonna need some sound effects to go along with this, but <laughs> oh, no, no now you've crossed a line. Oh, now I crossed the line. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, that was the line. Yeah, it only took almost two hours, so that's that's a you record. That little squirt, that little squirt emoji in the right. oh. <laughs> Yes. Oh wow, that's awesome. All right. Well, we should have no shortage of outtakes from this one. <laughs> it's going to be like 40 minutes of how outtakes. Do, how do I pick one? I know. There's so many of them. Maybe we need to release an outtakes episode. Just like all it is is outtakes. That'd be hilarious. Wow, that's genius. That's seriously brilliant. That would be pretty funny. All right. I'm going to start collecting them. And- that would be like a kind of thing to put on YouTube, though. That would be fucking yeah. hilarious. Because like to see our stupid faces and your closet. And- I look so tired. There's no bras in the background this time. so No, that's Doug's side. Oh, okay. Hopefully there's no bras on Doug's side. Hey, if he wants to Although, wear a bra, hey, he can. I know. Yeah, I'm affirming. It's 2023. Who gives a fuck? Like, I just wish he would have told me. That's all. We just want to know, Doug. Make sure it's lacy, for God's sakes. <laughs> Doug. <laughs> Doug's like, damn it. What the hell is going on in this podcast? Why did I sign up for this? <laughs>